Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Ferry. Welcome to another rebroadcast from the RTB archives. Brandeis University, welcome to Recall This Book, where we assemble scholars and writers from different disciplines to make sense of contemporary issues, problems, and events. I'm John Plotz, and my guest today is Sanjay Krishnan, eminent professor of English literature at Boston University and author, most recently, of V.S. Naipaul's Journeys, From Periphery to Center, Columbia University Press 2020. So who exactly was the Trinidad-born Nobel laureate? that Caribbean poet Derek Walcott called V.S. Nightfall, and many other post-colonial subjects have called far worse. Well, he's probably most famous for a comic masterpiece written in his 20s, his 1961 A House for Mr. Biswas. But he was also praised and vilified for wide-ranging journalism, essays, and fiction over the following decades, including a series of works like An Area of Darkness, A Bend in the River, and India, A Wounded Civilization, works that studied the post-colonial formations and deformations, to take Sanjay's language, in ways that assigned blame and credit in distinctly unpopular and to some unforgivable ways. So Sanjay joins us today because his book offers the first post-post-colonial reassessment of this complex and maddening writer. Sanjay, thanks so much for joining us on Recall This Book. You know, you have this conception of him thinking of the world's inside himself yeah. as world as like ways that he understands the world out there is through understanding him inside himself. So he's seen an argument about critical self-reflection, which is in which the ugliness of all the things that surface, like the racism or the forms of ethno-nationalism, you understand them as surfacing as part of his work rather than being kind of like accidental prejudices. You, you understand him as like working through yes. where those feelings might come from. Yes. Yeah. I think that this is something that has been completely missed. Um, people have never been able to sort of grasp this fundamental point about Naipaul's formation that um, he was in fact uh, sort of in, in a sense the post-colonial writer because the, the ethno-nationalist uh, wave broke uh, in a particular way in Trinidad in the 1950s. Right. At a point when making, uh, you know, making arguments that were sort of counter to the standard anti-colonial nationalist argument was actually illegible. And so Naipaul was actually sort of witness to a, a, a sort of a kind of a social process that was underway. This was the, the second, you know, the decolonization had swept through the system and now there was something else happening as a consequence right. of that. And so, so his, his, his let me just back, let me back yeah. you up right there because that's really important and I want to make sure I understand because I feel like that's consistent with something you say, which I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you said you that he's one of the first, he's one of the first post-colonial writers to think about global parallels between different groups of um Un, of unprotected and exploited peoples, and he's one of the first writers to focus on the experience of decolonization yeah. as an interconnected global phenomenon. Okay, so that's a general claim, but right. but 
you just made a specific claim about Trinidad. So we should say Naipaul is from Trinidad. He grew up in Trinidad. Then he left in 50... When did so he leave he, in 50? Yeah, he, grew, he was born in Trinidad in yeah. 1932. He right. went to school in Trinidad. And he um, won a scholarship that took him to Oxford uh, University yeah. uh, in 1950. So yeah. he's... he's and That's he, the classic. That's the Windrush generation, isn't it? Or no, what, it's before. Or, just a little. Okay. Yeah, just yeah. a little. So he goes to uh, England in 1950. Yeah. And and then he graduates in 1954 and from Oxford, and yeah. then he sort of sort of tries to sort of you know get started at a, as a writer in right. London, uh, and he returns to Trinidad uh, for a visit in 1956, shortly yeah. after he has completed Miguel Street, right. and it's in 1956 that he comes into direct contact with the kind of racialist politics mm-hmm. of kind of competing nationalisms if you like different groups having different visions for the society as it sort of moves towards independence right. and he sees how people are being mobilized uh, along ethnic lines right. and, and speaking ethnically trinidad is a slightly distinctive in the in the caribbean uh context because there's a substantial Indian minority, but yes. it's clearly a black sort of Afro- Afro-Caribbean majority, Yes, but a substantial Indian minority. A substantial minority. Indian minority, So yes. your point is that this is 56, 57 is very early yeah. for the de- decolonization is really in its early stages, but yes. already you're entering this second wave, which is yeah. there's this vacuum, and the question is like, who are the inheritors? Yeah, and the yeah. country really hasn't become independent yet, that only happens in 62, yeah. but the, um, but the, the politics that is going to sort of define the define post-colonial Trinidad right. is already becoming apparent in the by the late 1950s. Right. So, so one phrase you have, I'm still thinking about this point. Your point about him being early to notice this is that, okay. You say you say on page 16, it's possible to see what was less clear in the heatier days of decolonization that Naipaul's refusal to shy away from discomforting aspects of post-colonial life was not an attempt to blame the victim, but part of a scrupulous, if at times flawed, effort to grapple with the unevener consequences of the global transition into modernity. Mm-hmm. So we can come back to flawed, maybe, because yeah. obviously lots of people say he's flawed in many ways. Mm-hmm. But can you say more about what it means that he's grappling with the uneven consequences of the transition? Well, I think that, you know, Naipaul has a, a, a sort of a sense that decolonization is not going to be the smooth process that many people hoped or thought it mm-hmm. would be. Mm-hmm. That there would be problems, but that these problems could be overcome. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, in, starting in the late 50s, and, and then he begins writing about this in the 60s, he is actually sort of attending to these kinds of questions through, you know, in different works from the yeah. men you know, in a free state. And he's actually sort of moving into different places as he talks about this in different ways. So... And I don't want to oversimplify your argument, but is clearly the fact that he himself belongs to a group that is a racial minority within Mm -hmm. a post-colonial state where Mm -hmm. majority versus minority distinctions turn out to matter a lot is important. Do you see that as just a kind of contingent fact about Naipaul, or is that crucial, that he comes, that his 
crucible is like the kind of racialization of a place in which he's part of a minority. I think it is crucial. I think if you, you know, this is again a point that's not been picked up on by um, Naipaul's uh, critics or most of them. I think that Naipaul you know, came to understand that a kind of ethnic nationalist politics was going to take over the secular nationalist framework yeah. uh, of post-colonial societies. Yeah, and that's why I mentioned and, the phrase ethno-nationalist. Yeah. And so actually, so, yeah. if you look at a lot, if you look at his writings, um, and I can go through them, the kind of attention he brings to bear on ethnic minorities is is extraordinary. I uh-huh. mean, every one of his works is actually interested in the figure of the minority. Uh-huh. He never sort of brands it or labels it as such uh-huh. um, but this is in fact where his gaze always takes him in fact it's actually hard to know if he's actually even sort of thinking about it in a self-conscious way but he's always sort of working through um, the, the the minority question in all of the places he goes to um, you know the opening of in a free state um, the conclusion of in a free state a bend yeah. in the river all, all of his important works are really concerned with the question of the minority. So can I read a quote? This is, I think he's writing about Trinidad in 65, roughly. Mm-hmm. This is on your page 22. We weren't responsible in that way. Much mm. had been taken out of our hands. We didn't mm. have backgrounds. Mm. If you could, this is a wonderful image. If you could look down at us from the sky, you would see us living in our little houses between the sea and the bush. Mm. And I know Naipaul loves that word, the bush. Mm. Ellipsis. We were just there floating. Now, I can see how that would irritate a lot of people yeah. because he's saying, no, we didn't have responsibility. We didn't mm-hmm. have depth. So I get he's arguing against that kind of organicism of Williams, which just says, don't yeah. worry, there's always authentic culture to fall back mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. He's saying, no, it's not authentic. But so, yeah. yeah. So what I would say is I would qualify yeah. that somewhat because I think what he's saying to uh, Arthur Calder Marshall, who is the writer he's sort of yeah. criticizing, is yeah. that whatever claims one might make for the Welsh working class... Uh, yeah. you know, that Williams makes. Williams is saying that this, uh, the, the group of people that he's familiar with, that is to say the, the people uh, in Trinidad in the 1930s, yeah. were really sort of displaced peasants who had been sort of violently inducted into modern conditions of life. Right. And so were not equipped in the same ways that a working class uh, uh, which had which had uh, sort of been inducted into right. colonial uh, capitalism through a kind of a socially organic process might have been. Right. And you have a line, the institutions and norms of colonized societies had been deranged by modernity. Yeah. So yeah. So, so, the kinds of, yeah. So I think what Naipaul is saying is you want to be very careful about projecting the kinds of hopes you have for working class um, revolution in right. Europe onto a colonial context. Okay. So well, can I just yeah. ask you about, okay, so one thing is, I'm, I'm going to not get this right, but do you remember Derek Walcott's uh, Nobel speech because mm-hmm. he talks about attending a, a ceremony yeah. in, is yeah. it in St. Lucia that he goes to it but he's, he's Trinidad he's in Trinidad it's a rain festival right it's like around the arrows yes, yeah. yes, yes. and so Walcott's point as I understand it there is mm-hmm. like the derangement is our arrangement in other words yeah, yes yeah. you're right mm-hmm. Every there's no organic continuity yeah. but the very syncretic synthesis mm-hmm. actually that is our modern 
formation of our conception. Like we arise right. out of that syncretism. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, I haven't I haven't got, uh, read that Walker essay, um, but it's interesting because actually Naipaul writes about a similar performance called it's called the Ramlila, which is sort of the people sort mm. of uh, these laborers, indentured laborers from India, mm. performing these um, uh, performing the Ramayana basically yeah. on the edges of these sugarcane plantations. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And, and Naipaul actually talks about how he actually got his first sense of theater from these yeah. performances, which was sort yeah. of done by these peasants. Walcott sort of exoticizes it somewhat. He turns it into a kind of moment of self-creation, you know, yeah. whereas he does, so he doesn't want to historicize these things. For yeah. Naipaul, it's much more important to sort of historicize the ways in which these performances are taking place. So I right. think that that's the slight distinction I would make. I don't want to say too much because I don't exactly remember yeah, what no, Walcott is, enough, but that's enough. the impression yeah. I have. That, you know, for Walcott, yeah. I think there is a kind of optimism, obviously, yeah. that there is a kind of possibility. Yeah. And Naipaul is writing as, I think, an ethnic minority in the Trinidadian context. And yeah. he's also kind of looking at, you know, uh, the ways in which these performances are taking place within a particular historical formation and how... You know, you, you know, and, and, and I write about some of this in the book, that some of the kinds of cultural or uh, social practices that emerge out of this context are not necessarily sort of aligned with the forms of inst- the kinds of institutions that, you know, you you want to sort of begin to have in place as you move towards, you know, producing a kind of democratic uh, political structures. So, so I think that there was work to be done, and that kind of work is what Naipaul yeah. is much more interested in sort of teasing out through his writing. Yeah. So I said I wanted to get to Orwell, but I kind of want to do it by way of... I, um, another analogy came to mind that I just wanted to float with you, which is, mm-hmm. is the idea... If you think about Naipaul as starting to write in as early as the 50s, right. another virtual parallel is the literary naturalism that you see in someone like Armagh, The Beautiful Ones Are Not Yet Born, mm-hmm. or maybe even in Richard Wright's Native Son. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you think about that. The reason I'm thinking of the parallel is mm-hmm. that in both Armagh and Wright, I think you get this notion that we do live in a deranged modernity. In other words, there's nothing organic or comforting about the social fabric which is represented in Armagh's case it's just Mm -hmm. like what it means to live here in my country and in Wright's case it means what does it mean to be a black American but the point is that they 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 grapple with a deranged modernity but in a way that is not you know that doesn't it it lack they haven't provoked the kind of strong reactions that Naipaul has because Naipaul yeah. Naipaul provokes reactions because people see him as judging as well as describing that derangement. Yeah, it's hard to improvise an answer to that. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Totally, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, this is one phase of Naipaul's career, and I talk about it as the middle phase between 1962 yeah. and, you know, 1979 uh, and in 1980. And, and I think what Naipaul is really trying to do at this point is he is trying to write about his own formation, write about the region that he was sort of born in, uh, and then he begins to sort of go to India, and 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 you know he starts to sort of embark. He be, he embarks on a on a sort of a journey, um, you know, in which he's discovering that 
the narrative that he has begun to produce about himself and his formation actually turns out to have a lot more in common with other places. Yeah. And I think he grew... And that's your, signif- that's your point about being one of the first writers to recognize the global the aspect global of aspect, yeah. That seems like a crucial point, because I totally yeah. agree. That is a strong distinction. I, mean, I think Armas sees yeah. himself in a naturalist yeah. tradition. Yeah. Wright sees himself as belonging to a European tradition, but they do they understand their accounts as particular accounts. But you're saying that's that right, Naipaul yeah. is seeing this commonality defined by ethno-nationalism um, or defined by... Uh, yeah, defined in part by... Uh, I, mean, I think he finds it in different it, he finds different things in different places he writes about different things in different places um you know um it's not just the ethnic nationalist dimension when he goes to india he's sort of he's sort of he, you know the thing that that most um upsets him is caste i mean the way caste yeah. functions in india and he's actually shocked by it because yeah. you know one of the things i i say is that he's actually shocked by it not because he's contemptuous of it and he sees you know he's actually shocked by it because he recognizes in it aspects yeah. of his own formation so that yeah. so in his writing yeah. the, the bitterness and the kind of rage that you see there is as much self-directed yeah. because it's a sort of a self-implicating mode yeah, that yeah, it gets yeah. into so let can we talk about that self-implication Sanjay so w- one thing is like my favorite line I think in the book is this notion of the worlds within himself I defined myself and saw that my subject was not my sensibility, my inward development, but the worlds I contained within myself, mm-hmm. comma, the worlds I lived in. Mm-hmm. Can, can you just, I feel like, can you just parse that? My subject was not my inward development, but the worlds I contained within myself, the worlds I lived in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, this This speaks to the, 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 the Naipaul's discovery of what he could contribute as a writer. I think his, his artistic vision became a kind of, became defined by an understanding that he, he had absorbed within himself without knowing it, different historical trajectories. So there was there was a South Asian one. There was also the fact that uh, in, 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 in the South Asian society that he had come from was also already a fractured society. There were Hindus and Muslims. There was a history of Mughal rule there. There was a history of British colonialism there. There was also the displacement, the move from India to the Americas. Uh, And there, coming into contact with uh, an African uh, origin population um, and and, and an older Amerindian sort of culture that had been decimated by the time of his arrival. So so Naipaul sort of wanted to find ways to sort of pull together the different strands that had actually gone into his making. And his writing was actually a very sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, but a a kind of a slow process of disentangling those threads, if you like. So that became the story of the worlds that he contained within himself. But as he sort of wrote about these worlds, he began to see that there were connections between yeah. them, both in the present and in the yeah. past. So yeah. the story that he sort of be- that begins to sort of unfold as you read Naipaul's writings uh, is, 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 is the ways in which he's constantly sort of pairing or sort of making connections between different times and different places, all of which are sort of held together by the prism of his own formation. What I would say is Naipaul doesn't really sort of approach it systematically. I think he's more of a kind of a, an artist or a writer. Yeah. And so he's sort of working with the, the, the kinds of materials that he has at his own disposal. Uh, and so he is, I think, sort of finding these connections and these ways of writing where he, um, you know, sort of sees himself to be connected to the to the kinds of conditions that he finds himself engaging in 
but in different ways in different places. Yeah. So there isn't really, a, I, I don't know, when you say global decolonization, I think of him as sort of, you know, really traveling through decolonized spaces right. in different ways. Well, and, I was just thinking of that line that you had about the notion that he's the first person to look globally at this decolonization. Right. As, yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's right. To, I think, for, to yeah. focus on the experience of decolonization as an interconnected global yeah. phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, he does actually um, write about, um, yeah, these places. I mean, in, so, you know, in works like in a free state, he's looking yeah. at, you know, he's in Egypt, he goes to Africa, he's talking about places in Trinidad. And so there's a kind of, he's actually sort of finding parallels through the stories he tells. Those moments, I guess, I wouldn't necessarily say they're like self-implicating in the ways that are uh, playing out in, in the travel writing. Um, yeah. Um, but... Um, but I, yeah, but I do think that what he is actually sort of tapping into are, and, and this is a sort of a crude formulation, uh, is that, you know, the, the politics of identity, the politics of, of race and ethnicity comes to be a way in which different people in, in, in all in, the, in these different parts of the world um, are navigating decolonization. Yeah. So the very fact that Naipaul himself was sort of drawn into these kinds of feelings yeah. in the context of Trinidad, the fact that he was able to sort of yeah. channel or sort of repeat or echo odious feelings towards black people yeah. is something that he sort of takes as a sort of an insight when he travels to other parts of the world. Yeah. So so it's not like he's sort of trying to sort of then say, well, these people are being, uh, you know, racist or, or he's trying to sort of disparage them. I think what he's saying is that these feelings come to be a way that this new sort of social and political condition is being navigated. Yeah. So I really take your point that a lot of your intervention is about understanding, like getting beyond the post-colonial studies, let's say, let's say Rob Nixon account of Naipaul. But, but even looking beyond that question to the question of, you know, you are specifying a unique achievement of Naipaul in terms mm. of the earliness of understanding this kind of interconnected decolonization and the problem of ethno-nationalism and, you know, the status of minorities, let's say, in mm-hmm. decolonization. Mm-hmm. Do you see the Naipaul account as resonating for where we are now in this post-post-colonial moment? Or is what he has to say really specifically, you know, sharp on the 60s and 70s and like the formation of new third world nationalism? I think that it speaks to our moment in all sorts of ways because, um, you know, the, the question of the minority has become, you know, central in all, in you know, across, I mean, if you look at South Sudan, in mm-hmm. Myanmar, in India today, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's very clear that this is a, you know, it's a, it's a fundamental issue that Naipaul mm-hmm. put his finger on as early as 1960, mm-hmm. 61. Um, uh, but um, uh, so so that's one part of it. I think. Did he I, ever write about Rwanda and Burundi? Like, did he? Um, no, he didn't write about yeah. Rwanda. No, he didn't. I mean, he wasn't really looking to write about um, a, a political crises. I think yeah. you know he's he's all you know he, you know he when he writes about the Congo, for instance, he's very sort of careful to sort of avoid um, you know scenes of you know like mass violence. There, right. there are very few scenes of mass violence in in his war writings. He's right. really much more interested in looking at the ways in which societies get sort of 
fixed or set in certain ways, the yeah. kinds of narratives that emerge and the kinds of characters that get produced in those contexts. So I, I do think that, you know, Naipaul is actually sort of trying to equip uh, post-colonial uh, subjects with a kind of a language of reflection. You know, it's very important to sort of understand yeah. the histories by which you've been produced. It's very important to sort of engage with the with the odious feelings yeah. that, that, that have given rise yeah. to the kinds of histories that we now inhabit and to find ways to stage those feelings uh, without sort of falling back on, you know, righteous attacks or sort of clear-cut sort of positions, uh, ideological or otherwise. But I think it's very hard to sort of make that argument work in, in, in post-colonial studies, given the way in which post-colonial studies has constructed itself very much yeah. as a kind of the uh, inheritor of the mantle of anti-colonial nationalism, which always sort of framed itself in highly moral terms, a kind of moral rebalancing or correction, historically speaking. So, you know, if you think of Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth, that's very much the framework that, you know, that we're operating within. And, and, and the Naipaulian sort of vision, which I think of as... Um, a vision that tries to get into the weeds and it tries to sort of understand what actually sort of made these societies become sort of formed by certain stories and certain reflexes is harder to get at because it actually doesn't lend itself to a single uh, sort of formulation like Empire Rights Back and so on. What you really yeah. need to do is to sort of work through these stories as as they sort of reveal themselves in all their unpleasantness, yeah. if necessary, without sort of saying, oh, this, you're saying bad things about people who've yeah. been colonized. Yeah. Because that's the only way you're actually going to discover a kind of a capacious and complex enough vocabulary, conceptually, imaginatively, to sort of take on the kinds of struggles that have been sort of sedimenting over a long, long period of time. Yeah. And so I think that's where Naipaul remains uh, very important. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard at this point in the ways in which, you know, um, discussions get framed to sort of get that across. Because, you know, we're always going to the moment where, you know, it appears to be the case that Naipaul is saying something negative. And he does yeah. say negative things. Yeah. Uh, and he is a very problematic figure. But the, but the problem with Naipaul is that that sort of, um, that sort of, a uh, troublesome aspect of Naipaul is also what seems to give rise to these genuine insights into the nature yeah. of, of these social formations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. who do you, where do you see a positive legacy of Naipaul? Like, do you see writers that he has influenced or other people who have been able to do the same sort of thing? Or Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, uh, gosh, I had, I, yeah, I, I think most, many writers, uh, journalists, just sort of, you know, refer to Naipaul um, all the time. Um, I don't know, in America, it's George Packer talks mm -hmm. about him, you know, people like Hilary Mantel have yeah. written about him. No, but him I don't just so mean on. who talks yeah. about him. I mean, oh, where do you see? Yeah, where do yeah, you Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I see him and, you know, like if you read Arvind Adiga's The White Tiger, for oh, instance, uh -huh. it's very clear that, you know, that work is deeply influenced by wow, Naipaul. Wow, say more. I would not have seen that. Um, well, uh, gosh, uh, I don't know. There, the passages I remember when I was reading, I yeah. would just kind of draw a line down the side and I'd write N or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and I think, you know, like, you know, the ways in which Naipaul, um, uh, you know, this is unfortunate, but, you know, the ways in which um, uh, uh, scenes of urban dereliction, for instance, are described yeah. and the kind of sensibility with which yeah. some of those scenes are described, yeah. um, um, uh, I think, are, are, uh, are um, Naipaulian. But, um, you know, I think the same 
could be said of, you know, other sort of writers. I mean, you know, Marlon James has talked about Naipaul in his book. Oh, yeah. Um, what does he say? Well, he just basically talks about, he calls him a sort of a, a sort of, I think he calls him something, a coolie writer who said something, some interesting things about Jamaica and uh-huh. so on. But I think some of the, I think, I think Naipaul's way of writing in a way about some of these spaces is to, you know, to say, you know, somewhat politically incorrect yeah. ways to sort of be willing to sort of go to places that are considered um, problematic yeah. is generally, I think, the, the, the kind of source for many writers who sort of want to sort of give themselves permission. Uh-huh. To sort of move in certain uh-huh. ways um, that are, um, you know, uh, lacking propriety in the usual ways we think yeah. of when we write about when we yeah. talk about post-colonial work. I, I hear you, but but <laughs> specifically because I mean, I, on the one hand, I hear you're making a defense, which I totally understand and sympathize with, of like the right to go there if you want to as a mm-hmm. writer, like in mm-hmm. other words, to could say the thing that seems offensive right now but maybe in hindsight will have some resonance but you're making a more specific point about Naipaul because you're saying that it's the very objectionable things that he says that are actually the moments where he's like working the hardest because those are the moments where Mm -hmm. the worlds in him and the Mm -hmm. worlds he lived in are kind of aligning so do you see other writers who've who've taken that on like who've who've you know seen that kind of I, I almost want to call it like an auto ethnographic resonance or something where where they're writing benefits from that yeah sure I mean I think people uh I you know I, I don't know off the top of my head I think people like Taib Saleh for instance in season of my I was totally gonna ask you about him I'm so yeah. glad you said that yeah because when you were describing Brenda I was like that sounds <laughs> like season of migration to the north yeah <laughs> Huh. Yeah, how yeah. so? Which which part? Which is, is like the all of that stuff about the strangeness of how sexual desire gets mediated right, when right. he's talking yeah. about the white women that yeah, he yeah, will yeah, or won't sleep with, yeah. and the ways in yeah. which that you know they're, they're they're playing out racial roles with one another, mm-hmm. which he embraces, yeah. but yeah. not in a kind of yeah. cheap Orientalist way, but more just like kind of who we were to one another was right. was constituted by our difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think also of the ways in which uh, the, the you know, Taib Saleh writes about the disappointments about, uh, you know, post-colonial Sudan, for instance. Yeah. You know, there is that kind of... There is, you know, I think in the figure of Mustafa Saeed, you know, there yeah. is a kind of, there, you know, there's a kind of, you know, there's this kind of self-implication yeah. going on in the ways in yeah. which Mustafa Saeed is complicit with this, with this situation. Yeah. And he's also trying to separate himself from the kinds of conditions that he is in his class, at least. Yeah. It bears responsibility for. How did you come to want to write about Naipaul? Like, what's your own, what's your journey to Naipaul? Gosh, uh, I've had a pretty complicated relationship to Naipaul. Oh, I think I read, I, I yeah. read him as a I read him when I was uh, in my teens. I was just very very taken by the prose. Yeah, uh, I kind of fell in love with it. And then I remember reading a house with Mr. Buswas, and I really just loved it. Uh, and yeah. and I just I couldn't stop laughing when I was reading it. I just you know and and then um, as I. Uh, uh, I think it was after I, 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 I finished my undergraduate degree that I began to sort of actually sort of have, uh, you know, a desire to write, uh, you know, on these kinds of issues that yeah. I then sort of began to sort of turn against Naipaul. You know, I sort of entered into post-colonial studies and, you know, and then I, when I did graduate work, you know, I was at Columbia where Saeed yeah. was there and Rob yeah. Nixon was there too. So yeah. I'm personally very fond of Rob. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and, and so, so my own sort of, and then my, 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 
I turned against Naipaul because I saw in him all the kinds of problems that post-colonial studies had identified yeah. with him. But then, you know, there was a slow process where I sort of started making my way back. And then I realized that, that he was always sort of someone I had been sort of engaging with in my yeah. thought, even though I had sort of pushed him aside or I had dismissed uh-huh. him. And so that sort of forced me to sort of go back to him yeah. in a way. Well, say more about what that means, that you were always engaging him in your thought. I mean, you know, you know, in, in, I, I was always engaging him, I think, in a sense, you know, uh, you know, in a way, trying to say that he was wrong, maybe, or trying to say that some of the kinds of things, the, the approach that he had uh, sort of taken on or taken up uh, was actually, I don't know, um, inadequate politically, uh, you know, un- 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 unacceptable. But then as I sort of began to sort of read him more closely, I so- I started to sort of understand that there was actually a much more organic aspect of the way Naipaul had come, come at these questions. He was channeling emotions that I had not been willing to acknowledge yeah. as very much part of the fabric of yeah. post-colonial societies. Yeah. So I think this is one of the things that um, it's a sort of a dark secret or, you know, uh, you know, is that when post-colonial people read Naipaul, they recognize what he's mm. saying. And partly because they recognize what he's saying, they disavow it. Mm. Um, so it is complicated because I, I'm not suggesting that it's merely about um, repressing or pushing away what you see is in yourself. I think that, you know, Naipaul is a very problematic figure, so there are many things to object to in what he yep. says. But nevertheless, uh, it's not tenable to my mind to sort of simply say that Naipaul is, you know, has become an outsider. He's traveled away from the periphery and has simply wanted to sort of say the kinds of so recycle the stereotypes about the periphery. Yeah. Uh, you know, many times I've met um, individuals from different parts of the world. You know, and you know who will quote a line from Naipaul, mm-hmm. who will sort of reflect on a on a particular scene in a Naipaul novel that spe- spoke to some aspect of their own formations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it was really trying to get at that that part of Naipaul and to get at what how that part of Naipaul spoke to me in ways that kind of sort of were underneath the intellectual sort of, um, uh, you know, carapace, if you like, that I had sort of developed as a thinker that that became became the big problem. And to sort of try and write about it in a a non-academic way. So you're not really trying to argue with post-colonial studies anymore. You're really trying to sort of work around some of those questions. Yeah. I really, uh, you've really helped me think about that word formation, like in the sense that you just used it, and also that notion of deformation, like Mm -hmm. the thing that you might want to disavow but you nonetheless yeah. understand like that thing that you acknowledge i acknowledge mine you know yeah, the yes, thing, this like, thing of darkness just saying, yeah exactly yeah, yeah that area difference. of darkness i acknowledge <laughs> mine yeah no but i was just thinking doesn't that beyonce song called formation, formation which yeah. it's a great song but yeah, it would be yeah. amazing if beyonce would write a song called deformation too yeah. which would be about yeah, yeah like the things that you wish you could disavow but you yeah. cannot disavow yeah. I, I think that's yeah. one of Naipaul's strengths, you know, to sort of make the deformation the formation, yeah. you know, uh, and to sort of own it. 
yeah. to own it without saying, "Oh, I overcame it," yeah. or, uh, or you know, I'm or I'm filled with self-loathing, and so I'm right. just going to write about myself. No, it's yeah. it's not that. It's really about historicity. It's really about sort of working through yeah. something, you know. Yeah. And so when you when you when you accept that, then you're not really trying to sort of overcome it. You're not really trying to move, yeah. you know, to a, you know, you're not trying to get through catharsis yeah. to a point where you are sort of liberated in the Fanonian yeah. sort of formulation. You know, it's not that. It's really an endless process. You this is it. This is where we are. This yeah. is what we need to work through. This is the idiom that yeah. we need to sort of work with. Yeah, know? so I'm trying to write about the late Willa Cather right now. And like yeah. she's got an amazing late story called Two Old Friends, which yeah. is just about, you know, the limited... It's basically about the limited resources you have in a small town for social life and these two guys who are friends. And this is by far the best thing about their lives. Mm. And then they just screw up the friendship over essentially nothing. Yeah. And it's doesn't it's non-reparable and um i'm just i'm just interested in how cather by the end of her life obviously in her early phase like oh pioneers or my antonia mm. she has this kind of optimistic mm. remaking the world i mean it's a colonial vision but by the end of her life she's kind of locked in this fact of you know even if you're part of the dominant culture, which she is for sure part of the dominant culture, you are nonetheless caught with these deformations that are inescapable. Yeah. And uh, and you're right. How do you own them? That's really That's interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we do need to find a more... Um, capacious and nuanced way to talk about deformation. Yeah. I think not to sort of, you know, say, oh, let's celebrate deformation. I think no. it's much more about let's find ways to sort of work through right. them. If you were going to celebrate it, it wouldn't be deformation anymore. I mean, yeah. that's the point about a song like Formation, which is yeah. like you can take pride in all of those things, and yeah. that's great. Yeah. But what do you do about the things that you can't take pride in? And the minute you just say, oh, but I also take pride in those, mm-hmm. then that's not deformation. It's just formation. Yeah. So the point yeah, is... Yeah, I think that's, yeah. really, that's really good. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think that yeah in a sense is what I found myself um, you know to go back to this question about why did I go back to Naipaul I think I found I found in Naipaul's writing a kind a sort of uh, a sort of persistent engagement with that question that I could not find anywhere in post-colonial studies or in any post-colonial theorist you know Uh, and and I feel that that in some ways is the um, well, it's not the, but one of the most important questions um, for those of us who are interested in cultural criticism. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, w- yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, so I should conclude tonight by saying that Recall This Book is hosted by John Plotz and usually by Elizabeth Ferry, though not tonight, with music by Eric Chaslow and Barbara Cassidy. Sound editing is by Claire Ogden, website design and social media by Kaliska Ross. And as you know, we always want to hear from you with your comments, criticism, suggestion for future episodes, or even your favorite Naipaul line. Um, you can email or direct us directly or contact us via social media on our website. If you enjoyed today's show, as you know, we would be extremely happy if part of your formation was to write a review or to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you may be interested in checking out past conversations with Quinn Slobodian on the rise of ethno-nationalism, interviews with Shishen Liu, Zadie Smith, Samuel Delaney, and Mike Lee. And so once again, Sanjay, uh, thank you so much for coming. Your book is called V.S. Naipaul's Journeys from Periphery to Center, published um, in 2020, I believe, right? By Columbia University Press. Um, Totally fascinating book. Highly recommended. And from all of us here at Recall This Book, thank you very much for listening.